appreciate your presence this morning very much. Good to see Greg Shule back with us. Appreciate his good prayer. And Greg's been quite sick. Appreciate his being back. He has a test tomorrow. We need to keep him in prayers for that. Just uh, hopefully a, a routine, better safe than sorry kind of test because he's had a lot of sinus and they believe that's what's going on with Greg. But we sure want to keep him and others in our prayers, of course, who've been mentioned and others uh, will be. But uh, we... Uh, Appreciate your presence and glad that you are here this morning. If you were here last Sunday night, you know that I, I mentioned some developments uh, regarding a congregation in the Atlanta area and also uh, University Abilene Christian, but North Atlanta, an article had mentioned that they were now allowing dancing at wedding receptions in their church building and uh, that ACU's Dean of Students has revealed a new policy allowing uh, dancing. They'll consider that on a case-by-case -case, uh, basis, and I know that it is uh, approaching prom time as well, and as I mentioned, we don't have uh, a lot of young people here who might be uh, tempted, and I use that word uh, intentionally, tempted to go to the prom, uh, but um, nonetheless, it's good for us, obviously, to be aware, especially in light of the developments like the ones I mentioned last uh, week that I have you know, information here about uh, that is very disturbing information. It's good for us to be aware that uh, the Bible still teaches what it has always taught uh, in every regard, including dancing. And I know that dancing has been popular for uh, many years, and I also know that it's not popular to speak against it. I've preached long enough to know that it's not popular to speak against uh, Dancing, And many are of the opinion that the, quote, old fogies in the church uh, are only those who see anything wrong with it. But our key question is, what does the Bible say? Because right and truth and purity are the issues, not popularity. That's not the issue. And young people, uh, perhaps not many in this congregation, but young people in congregations across the land because prom time is coming up, they're going to be faced with the decision of going or not going. Parents are going to be faced with the decision of whether to allow them to go or not to allow them uh, to go. And frankly, if many of the young people followed their feelings, then uh, they would likely attend the prom because they may like to dance or because they don't wish to be ostracized by their peers. But feelings are not the determining factor in this or any other matter regarding what Scripture teaches. We must be willing to put feelings aside and certainly give careful consideration, honest consideration, to the material that I plan to present here uh, today on this subject. And I mentioned in Bible class that I wanted to preface this discussion with something that would be pertinent to you, whether you have any intention of, of uh, dancing or, or doing anything associated with it at all. And that is an attitude about everything that we approach from the standpoint of the biblical perspective on these things. Romans 12, 1 and 2, that's a passage that reveals an attitude that all of us need to have in regard to any scriptural matter that's being studied. Paul there writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now notice, 
He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. You know, there are many ways to cause people to do things. But Paul here appeals to the compassion of God, to the mercy of God that has been so abundantly shown to all of us. Man needs to appreciate the love and compassion of God. And when he does, he will not want to be engaged in any sinful activity, whether it is dancing or anything else. Consider yourself, why does God love you? Why does God love you? Why does God love me? He is certainly under no obligation to do that. But what is God's attitude toward miserable and deplorable man? Is he ready to strike a final blow in anger? Or is he loving and kind and compassionate and long-suffering? I know you know the latter is true. Has he not been compassionate with all of us? Has he not been merciful toward us? We need to think about that. And I believe if we do constantly think about that, then it helps us in our faithfulness in all areas as a Christian. It helps us to, to, uh, to hold fast to that which is good. It helps us to truly prove all things, as Paul admonished in the first Thessalonian letter, and to hold fast to that which is good and to abandon that which is not good. Think with me about a, a few passages that reveal that compassion and love of God. Romans 5, 6 uh, through 8. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, John 3.16, that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. And John, the great apostle of love, speaks of that love in 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this, John writes, is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. God loved. God loves. God gave. And God continues to give. The power of that love, the power of that compassion is seen in John twelve thirty two, where Jesus said, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. The cross. We've talked about it before. It draws. It doesn't drive. The cross draws. And that's Paul's appeal. I want you to want to. It's not just I want you to do this. It's I want you to want to do this. And that's the attitude we should have. Aesop's fable of wind and sun shows the power of appeal. Wind and sun saw a man wearing an overcoat. The wind said he was the more powerful of the two and would prove it by blowing the coat off the man's back. The harder the wind blew, the tighter the man held to his coat. The sun began to warm things slowly, and finally the man decided he didn't need his coat any longer and removed it. 
We can use force with people or we can appeal to you, warm you with love and with truth. And that's what God has done in the supreme sacrifice of love through Jesus Christ. And now he says, I want you to say, I want to. I want to avoid any sinful activity. I want to be a good example because of your love, God, and your great compassion for me. Now, with that motivation in mind and that attitude, let's discuss briefly the subject of dancing from the biblical biblical point of view. And as we do, make it clear we're not discussing exercise classes for women. We're not discussing marching uh, in a band. We're not discussing that kind of, of activity. We're not discussing jumping up and down for joy, as we'll talk about as uh, one of the Old Testament uh, passages, or a couple of them indicate. We're not talking about that. That's not, that's not dancing as we're going to be talking about it. You say, well, we might not even be talking about the waltz. The waltz then. Oh, yeah, we are going to be talking about the waltz. I assure you we are. But not about the things I've just mentioned. What does the Bible say about dancing? That's what we want to know. And the New Testament is our standard of authority for the Christian today. For as long as time stands until the Lord comes again, that is our authority. And the original language of the Bible may be very helpful to us because as we look at it, we see that the word dance is filled with meaning. For instance, in the Old Testament, there are five words translated dance or dancing. And they're not going to spend a lot of time with it, but I can tell you that one of them means to keep a festival. One means to turn or whirl, just simply to turn around or whirl. Uh, the idea of whirling is in another word. The idea of skipping or jumping for joy or leaping for joy is in another word. And finally, there's a word that means a company, a company. And so immediately we see different ideas. But the first time we see it used is Exodus 15 and verse 20. You remember after the crossing of the Red Sea there, and uh, the song of Moses uh, was sung there. And verse 20, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And so what's involved uh, there? Uh, There's singing and dancing involved. But it is not singing and dancing in the midst of revelings and lasciviousness. It's women only. They're outdoors. It's during the day. It is an expression of religious joy. That's what we see. Then if you look at uh, 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, concerning the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the bringing back of the Ark and David's, uh, David's joy over that. Uh, now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And it, so it was when those bearing the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen, linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. That's that word that means to whirl, to whirl, or to move around. It was a religious atmosphere, David alone, outdoors, during the day, religious expressions, expressions of joy. The basic idea of that word involved there is just moving around, 
moving around. So none of what we have mentioned are the ancestor, would be the ancestors of the modern dance. And if we were to bring it over to our day and call it religious dancing, we'd have to allow the mechanical instruments of music also, wouldn't we? As David introduced them under the old covenant. Then when we come to the New Testament, there are two words. First of all, the religious dances of the Old Testament, we've noticed, are never mentioned in connection with Christians. There is a word in the New Testament that means to lift up the feet, to leap with regularity of motion. And then another word, and here's the Greek on it. I mention it only because you'll know what, where we get our word, English word, karos, karos, chorus, chorus. Yes, that's a company of singers and dancers. And uh, that's only used in Luke 15, 25 prodigal son, parable, as they heard, as he heard singing and dancing there, the elder brother. He heard music and dancing rather. How? Well, dancing is not the primary meaning of the word obviously here. And the parallel would be to hire a group of singers and professional dancers for entertainment. But keep in mind, the Lord simply mentions that in the parable of the prodigal son. He doesn't state his approval even of that form of dancing in that parable. He just simply cites a common example there. But what are we concerned about? What is the type of dancing about which we are concerned? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 6 beginning, But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then the disciples came, took away the body and buried it, and went and told Jesus. Now then, we have to ask the question in regard to this incident. What kind of dancing causes a man to make that kind of promise to a woman. The performance by the daughter of Herodias, Vines tells us in his word studies, is the only clear instance of artistic dancing, a form introduced by Greek customs. This is not the religious dancing of the Old Testament. It is not the word used in Luke 15, 25, indicating a chorus or company of singers and dancers. What we're talking about in Matthew 14 is the lewd and licentious dancing activity that is condemned in the Bible and which parallels the modern dance of our time. Now look with me at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. There the works of the flesh are evident, Paul tells us, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, as the New King James says, lasciviousness, as the King James says, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Lewdness lasciviousness as it is also translated. What's involved here? Thayer's Greek lexicon says filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males, 
and females. Now, who can deny, being honest, that that does not describe, who can deny that that describes the modern dance? As one preacher, Maurice Lusk III, stated, quote, there's no better example of an activity which excites lustful desires or produces lustful emotions than dancing to rock music. When males and females stand before one another, gesticulating their bodies in response to one another's movements to the beat of raging music, what else could that be called but lasciviousness or lewdness as the New King James translates it? Then you've got the word verse 21 and verse 21, revelings. And that is defined as an occasion of merrymaking or noisy festivity with dancing, etc. It's defined as activity connected with music and dancing. And you know, if lasciviousness or lewdness and revelings didn't cover it, what about such like? And such like. Things like in kind to the things mentioned. And certainly that would include the modern dance. As we look at the truth about dancing, we need to use the Bible. That's true, obviously. But we also need to use just good, common sense. The modern dance is simply a sensual attraction tied to the lusts of the flesh. And you've got evidence to show it. Parents, under what circumstances would you allow your daughter to be embraced by any number of young men in one night? Under what circumstances would you allow your son to embrace any number of girls in one night? Under what circumstances would you allow your wives, husbands, to embrace other men intimately and vice versa? But turn a little music on and all of this becomes acceptable. But music doesn't make it right. And dancing depends solely upon the mingling of the sexes for its survival, doesn't it? Dancing depends solely upon the mixing of the sexes for its survival. Have you ever heard of an all-girl or an all-boy prom? You know, you know what the easiest job in all the world would be? It would be to be the refreshment chairman at an all-boy or an all-girl prom. To be the refreshment chairman. You could make a half a tuna fish sandwich and you'd have to eat it all yourself. Because nobody's going to show. And as far as developing the social graces, as is sometimes contended, there are many other ways to develop social graces. But let me share with you what one person wrote, Dr. Lita Hollingsworth of Columbia University. She wrote these words in defense of the dance, defending it now, defending it. Quote, it affords a partial satisfaction to the sex impulses, end quote. It affords a what? A partial satisfaction to the sex impulses. That's what she wrote in defending it. That's not a defense. That's a condemnation. The dance arouses unrestrained desires that cannot be fulfilled under present relationships and conditions. And these desires were given to express love between husband and wife, but the modern dance prostitutes these emotions. The dance has immorality as its basis, and it will affect one by watching as well as participating. Ask John the Baptist if Herod's watching 
that dance had any impact on him. And all Herod did was watch. And these same emotions are aroused by the modern dance with its indecent or seductive bodily movements. Now who can deny that dancing has immorality as its basis? Let me examine a few statements of many who would know. Because there are two things we can look at. We can look at the testimony of the world and we can look at the teaching of the word. We've seen the teaching of the word. What about the testimony of the world? The world. I'm not talking about those in the church. I'm not talking about fellow preachers or, or, or elders or deacons. Or, or No, I'm talking about the world. Gene Kelly. Anybody remember Gene Kelly? Well, of course you do. Famous dancer. He's dead now. He was quoted in a newspaper article, that UPI article that appeared back in 1985, and it read in part, quote, Kelly says it was lust that led him to the dance floor as a youth in Pittsburgh. When I got into high school, he says, and found out about girls and how they loved boys who could dance, well, end of quote. And there's a professor, J. Lewis Guion, I don't know if that's proper pronunciation of his name, for sure. He was the operator of Paradise, as it was called. That was one of Chicago's leading dance halls. He spoke before the World's Purity Federation Congress, and uh, he said this, We are all men. We know the natural desires of youth. We know that sex is the strongest impulse planted in the human race. You can picture the effect on a boy or girl of 18 or 20 years of age when this hunger is keenest, when knowledge and experience are lacking in the foundation of good judgment of one of these dances which call for close abdominal contact and frequently bring cheeks together and entwine the limbs. See, that would include slow dancing, wouldn't it? Yet we find thousands of boys and girls dancing this way every day who do not realize they are doing anything out of the way and whose fool parents look on complacently. This form of dancing is a menace to the future of our nation. There is left then but one reason for its popularity. That reason is sex appeal. I hasten to assure you that I do not believe that dancers are always conscious this is the reason they enjoy this position and the steps that go with it. But this lack of consciousness is merely an added factor of danger. When you are told that youth of both sexes can survive this experience without moral, mental, and physical pollution, you know the teller lies. If you can believe youth is the same after this experience as before, then God help your child of your charge, for you are not mentally fit for your responsibility. Kind of wish he'd make himself clearer, don't you? <laughs> and then there was a professor, Harry Stribes, an ex-dancing teacher. He was an originator of noted society dances, he said, quote, I do not believe that a woman can waltz virtuously and waltz well, for she must yield her person completely to her partner. And uh, a Chicago vice commission asked 300 prostitutes in Chicago on one occasion, what led you to become what you are today? Eighty-five percent said my first wrong was caused by the modern dance. And we're looking at the testimony of the world now, not what some preacher would tell you, but what the world tells you about it. And what does the world say in the lyrics of the Psalms? Well, we mentioned that even the waltz, 
because a person has to yield himself or herself completely to the partner. What about the waltz? What about the lyrics of a song like, Shall We Dance? Somebody says, well, shall we dance from the musical The King and I? Nothing in those lyrics that would even suggest a sexual uh, idea or connotation, is there? Well, how about, shall we dance on a bright cloud of music? Shall we fly? Shall we dance? Shall we then say goodnight and mean goodbye? Or perchance, when the last little star has left the sky, shall we still be together with our arms around each other? And shall you be my new romance? On the clear understanding that this kind of thing can happen, shall we dance? Shall we dance? Shall we dance? You might say, well, that's a little more subtle. Well, it might be a little more subtle than some of them. What about that popular song back in the 80s, I believe, by ABBA called Dancing Queen? <coughs> Friday night and the lights are low. Let me stop and ask why. Why are the lights low on Friday night at a dance? I think you know. Friday night and the lights are low, looking out for the place to go where they play the right music, getting in the swing. You come, you come in to look for a king. Anybody could be that guy. Night is young and the music's high. With a bit of rock music, everything is fine. You're in the mood for a dance. And when you get the chance, you are the dancing queen. Young and sweet, only 17. Dancing queen, feel the beat from the tambourine. You can dance, you can jive, having the time of your life. See that girl. Watch that scene, digging the dancing queen. Now listen to this. You're a teaser. You turn them on, leave them burning, and then you're gone. Looking out for another. Anyone will do. You're in the mood for a dance. Don't think there's much doubt about that. That's not too subtle, is it? You're a teaser. You turn them on, leave them burning. Better to marry than to burn, Paul wrote, didn't he? And what did he mean by that burn? The very same thing that the lyricist meant by this burn. Burning with desire. Oh, and there, there was a song called Lady years ago by the Little River Band. Lady, let me take a look at you now. You're there on the dance floor making me want you somehow. Looking and lusting, not necessarily participating. As a Christian, you're different. The life of the Christian is to be different. You claim a place in the family of God. Life is more than one night at the prom. Life is more than physical pleasures. Life is more than false popularity. It's the spiritual values that really count. The real values of life involve the honor of God and His church supporting brothers and sisters in Christ, your influence as a Christian, your Christian responsibility, choosing between devoting your life to the counsel of God or to the pursuit of the pleasures of the flesh and the popularity of your peers. And that Christianity is not limited to this church building, is it? If so, it's empty and meaningless. Growth spiritually comes from practicing on Monday what we learn on Sunday. If I were talking to young people, and I am talking to a few, if your friends really care for you, they will still care for you even if you're not at the prom, even if you're not going the way of the world in other areas, not just dancing, but anything else that could be a temptation. If they're your friends, they'll still care for you. And they'll respect you even more.
can you harmonize dancing with pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this? To keep oneself unspotted from the world. Visit the fatherless and widows. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. Can you harmonize dancing with have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them? Can you harmonize dancing with be holy for I am holy? Can you harmonize it with keep yourself pure in the latter part of 1 Timothy 5.22? No, you can't. You can't. But you know, if some young people decide they're going to the prom or they're going to engage in dancing at other times, there's not much I can say probably will change their mind if they really are determined. But what we've tried to do today is to appeal to anyone who might ultimately hear this lesson, not just those who are here, but these, uh, these lessons are available really worldwide on the Internet. And I would say that if you're a young person hearing this and you decide you're going to go, Maybe what I've said won't change your mind, but what I've tried to do is to appeal to you today to do right and to want to do right. And as far as parents are concerned, if parents condone and encourage attendance at the proms, it'll be hard to stop it. And little can be done until parents take a stand. But again, remember Romans 12, 1 through 3. Think of the love and compassion of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Think of the love and compassion of God and respond to his teaching accordingly. And that's true of anyone today who's outside of Christ. Think of the love and compassion of God and respond to his teaching, not just on this subject, but respond to his gospel teaching, obviously, and become a child of God this morning. That's our plea. That's our appeal to you to, to consider the love and compassion and the mercy of God. And let it prompt you to obey. How? By a belief in Jesus, the Christ that leads you to repent of your sins, to confess him as the Christ, to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And rise to walk in newness of life, a life that will not lead you back into the world, but away from the world and all those worldly activities such as the one we've talked about from Scripture this morning. And as you do, you'll be better off, obviously, spiritually, and those around you will be better off because your influence will be exerted for good and not for evil. If you need to come home to your first love and repentance and confession of sin that needs to be confessed publicly, we plead with you to do that now as we stand and sing to encourage.